You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at episode two of Space Above and Beyond, entitled The Farthest Man from Home. And I don't know, I just feel like furthest. I like furthest better, but it's not, it's farthest, so. And farthest I, they, is correct. It's probably correct, yes, but. Uh, it is I'm correct. Best. Well, but he isn't really the farthest man from home either, so I mean, it's not right there either blah okay. episode synopsis an army team lands on the planet Telus looking for survivors they come under heavy chig attack and must evacuate but not before they capture one survivor who is rather unwilling to leave he madly raves about being the farthest man from home the fight in 58 are awaiting their next mission the current position is near Telus a planet that West never thought he'd ever see He's wistful about his dead colonist girlfriend, Kylan, who was one of the colonists massacred on Telus. West observes the army shuttle return from Telus and sees the survivor in biohazard containment, placed into confinement. That gives him an idea. Meanwhile, the survivor is questioned by Sewell, one of the board of directors of the Aerotech Corporation, the corporation that funded the Telus colony project. He's in possession of information about the chick that was recovered on Mars, and he wants the survivor to confirm what he knows. He doesn't, and Sewell warns that they'll re-educate him and make him forget everything that happened on Telus. The 58th are given their new assignment. They'll be heading off to another star system, but West has other ideas. He manages to contact the prisoner, asks about Kylan, and when he receives an obtuse answer, West decides to steal his hammerhead, and try to rescue her from the planet. Colonel McQueen notices his absence and promises to bust his butt later. As explained in the previous episode, McQueen will not tolerate any insubordination in his squadron. So, of course, Vanson and Tank immediately disobey orders and go after West. Telus is what the Jarheads call a hot planet. That is, it's under Chig control. And so, in very short order, West's hammerhead is shot down. He survives the crash and begins searching. He finds definitive signs that several humans survived the attack and that Kylan was among the survivors. Following a needlessly obtuse clue, West tries looking in the hills, where he finds a cave with two human survivors. Neither is Kylan. They have survived because the cave is a sacred burial area of the Chigs, and they will not enter. There were other survivors, including Kylan, but they've all been captured and are no doubt, dead by now. Undeterred, he goes to the place where the Chigs took the humans and oversees several prisoners being escorted somewhere in chains. Vanson and Tank are searching from orbit when they too come under Chig attack. Tank is shut down and crashes conveniently near West. Vanson flees and calls for help. West and Tank find each other but come under Chig ground assault. Things are looking bad when the 58th, on McQueen's orders, provide them with covering fire as an army personnel carrier arrives to rescue them from the planet. Back on the carrier, it's time for Commodore Ross to get some answers, as the cascading chain of idiots try to explain and shoulder the blame for everyone's actions. 
Obviously, they're all in for a court-martial. Except, they're not. You will forget about this and not discuss it with anyone. Dismissed. The Queen speculates that somebody much higher up put the boot on Commodore Ross. So, all's well that ends well, right? He end. All right. What did you think about farthest man from home? Uh, I wonder how the how the Marine Corps in the year 2063 maintains a chain of command and any form of accountability. <laughs> My first note literally says, quote, right off the bat, I've got a problem with this portrayal of the military. And it's exactly this. I mean, how can they function like this with, with everyone just running off and doing whatever the hell they want and, and no consequences? I, 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 I see. And, and you know, that it works. It works on a show like MASH where the military are the bad guys. Yes. They're not necessarily the worst guys, but they are the foil to Hawkeye and his crazy band of surgeons. But they are the glorified heroes in this story. The military and the military way is, you know, this, this is a, a very, this feels like a very patriotic drum-beating kind of show, but these guys are not... They're not I doing know. this right at all. And it it's it's really weird. I, I I I mean I think there's a element of, you know, the lone hot shot independent thinker is our hero. You don't put that person in the military. It's not a place for lone independent maverick thinkers. No. Uh, and and I mean the whole freaking squadron disobeyed in this episode. Yeah. All of them. You, including their commander. Right after their commander gave them a lecture last week about how I am not putting up with any of this from you guys ever again. I remember that one. Like, wow, you, you are not convincing me there, sir. Um, yeah. <laughs> there is, I, don't, I, don't, I, did, I did notice something else here. Huh? Uh, which is uh, uh, the military industrial complex. Ah, represented this, by Sewell. Yes, this yeah. seems to be a motif in the series so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I and I know that before anyone gets out there and says, no, 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 this is all wrong, I know that Morgan and Wong did not create the X-Files. Right, that was Chris Carter and whatever, but, but Morgan and Wong were in there early and they were part of the thing. And I, I can definitely see, um, I can definitely see X-Files in this. You know, Kylan is Mulder's sister. He's the, she's the, right. the thing that he's got that will always keep driving him back to the mythos episodes, which I think this was one of. I think it's, you know, the, the whole bit about the undercover military industrial complex of what's going on with the Chigs and what were they doing with the people and all that stuff. I think, you know, that's going to be on again, off again. I could be wrong because I don't know, but I think that's going to be on again, off again throughout the show, just like those you know, oh, the EBE episodes are back again on on the X Files and the cigarette smoking man, which is of course here is going to be Sewell um, and, and all that. So I, I think it's going to cause me to make unfair comparisons, perhaps because I can clearly see this show is not as good as the X Files. But you know, in the X Files, our heroes were in the FBI, and yes, they were bucking the system, and yes, the FBI was in a way compromised. But at the same time, they were, you know, they had a lot more autonomy than these people do. 
and it's it's really i mean i'm kind of interested in in what the the what is the story what aerotech is after kind of i did not like the way they portrayed it i mean what what kind of a ridiculous interrogation technique is it where you go in and say well i know something about the jigs now tell me what i know tell me what i know you tell me what i know if already knew it why tell me yeah and and why would the guy not tell him yeah i wasn't sure either um i mean and, if he knows tell him yes and then of course the uh of course when i hear re-education uh yeah usually the next word of my mind is camp uh-huh which brings up Vietnam after North Vietnam one. Uh-huh. And, and make you forget about all the events on Telos. That sounds more like, well, that sounds more like a re-education camp. That sounds like some sort of chemical, electric, yeah. brain processing. Um, I mean, it is the future, so they might have stuff like that. But, and, and again, would this guy care? I mean, honestly... He's had a horrible experience. He's he's been driven mad. Thinking, yeah, make me forget. Okay, I'm cool I'm, with that. Why is that I'll such a like threat? It. I did <laughs> notice um, toward the, at the end of the episode where the where the two female survivors that West. Oh yeah, they're found, they're going to forget, and they're going to forget, yeah. and they they're they're all cleaned up from their walking out, and I, and I did notice the looks on their faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're definitely. But then, you know, why not do that to our, our Jarhead team here? Because they know something about TELUS that they shouldn't. Um, certainly Wes does. Yeah. Um, and speaking of TELUS and of uh, survivors on the planet, I'd just like to point out that Kylan is in three episodes, according to IMDb. Did this count as one of them? No, this this was a flashback. But she's actually, she said, she's also in the last episode of the season. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, I mean, she had a speaking part in this one well, from it a was recording. A, yeah, it was a so, film from the pilot. I, I, was it? Yes. Look towards the mountains? That, that whole thing about look towards well, the, the hills? Oh, that one. Oh, that one, that recording. Um, see, that, that didn't come up on the IMDb page, but the actual face. Actually, we actually, actually see her face in three episodes. Okay. Yeah, it's because I, I, I would think IMDB might give her a credit for that. It, you know, I don't know how that, I don't know how it works for voiceover work for something like that. But yeah, um, okay. Well, you know, Boulder's sister pops up a couple times, so fair enough. at season endings. And in fact, in one case, if I'm not mistaken, so <clears throat> yeah, it could have been. Um, there was a. A few seasons, several seasons into the X Files, I stopped watching it from week to week, and so I fair enough. Yeah, I just, fair enough. I didn't keep track of. Well, I think she showed up by the end of the third season, um, by the cliffhanger. But yeah, is it her? Is it a clone? Who knows? It's the same thing. I mean, and okay, so here, let let's come back to this whole the the chigs are taking. People and and before anyone says, oh gosh, you're using a derogatory term for these people. Why don't you use their real name? The answer is we have no clue what it is. Jigs is the only name they've got. So if that if it sounds like I'm being dismissive of an entire race of beings, so be it. It's the only thing we've got. Um, it is the name of the episode, and it apparently it was because they resemble a flea. Chiggers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
which, and then the other guy says, oh, they look more like mantises. It's like, okay, so you guys have seen them? Yeah, well, they did kill one on Mars, and apparently Aerotech dissected. But did they take it out of its suit? I mean, they were so stupid they didn't take it back with them. Well, apparently, <laughs> well, apparently it got it got it got to it, it got to Aerotech. Right, right. But I but but the grunt would he have seen what it looked like outside the suit? That's my question. Probably like, oh, not. Looked like a mantis. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, you know, maybe maybe they got some pictures of it. They put them on the vid feeds and said, "Here's what the aliens look like. Ooh, they're nasty. Let's go kill them." Uncle Sam needs you to kill these bugs. Call the raids, kind of thing. So if you needed, if you had some sort of nefarious purpose, if you had some sort of, and, and you know, I you can't help but speculate, right? Uh, I right. think they lay eggs in the humans. That seems like a perfectly valid uh, bug metaphor. I mean, everyone loves that one, right? If you're going to do, if you're going to do bug horror with humans, that's definitely the one. Let's lay that our actually, eggs in the humans. That actually came up in uh, Andromeda. Go on. Doctor Who and, and it, Alien it, it, and then, yeah. It, it, came up, it came up in Andromeda. There was a species that reproduced that thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that that is the obvious one that comes to mind. But if that's the case, then you would think that instead of crashing the ship, which should have destroyed everyone on board, right? Tellus Colony wasn't right. destroyed on the ground like Vesta was. Tellus Colony was destroyed before it ever reached landing. Yes, so, I mean, that's, were... that's a rocket ship fell out of space. This is the right. Challenger all over again. There should have been pieces of these people, not whole bot, whole, whole survivors. But you'd think that they would do it a different way. You would think instead they would wait till they land and then they would capture them all so they would have more specimens. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's kind of, it doesn't have to make sense. It just has to be a mystery. Yeah. Oh, and, right? speaking, and, and speaking of mysteries. Mm-hmm. I have a note here. Um, the Saratoga uh, got to tell us fairly quickly. Now, I'm not sure how much time <laughs> passed in universe, <laughs> but they weren't out there for years anyway. Uh, and, and apparently, uh, the one the re- the reason that the sh- the um, colony ship for Telus had to leave when it did was that the next wormhole would have opened in 12 years. Is it? Yeah, there's a line in this episode. I, I probably should have gone back and rewrote it, but it was something along the lines of, oh, you know, it takes a really long time to get a wormhole from Earth, but now that we're out here, we can just zip around wherever we want. It, it was There was something something about that. It's like, you know, there's plenty of wormholes out here for us to go wherever we want to. It's just there aren't any back on Earth. Something right. like that. I. I don't know, but does that mean if they go back to Earth, then they're going to have to wait 12 years for the next wormhole to get back into space? Or I, how about this? I, or how about this? Or, or how about this um, as a program for for establishing colonies? Send the colonists aboard ships such as the Saratoga. Yeah, why not? We've apparently got spaceships out there. Yeah, this the, it, it doesn't... I mean, okay, how about this question? Did they go to Telus and Vesta blind? Did they go there not knowing what they were going to find on that planet? Or had these planets already been found and scouted out and, and or reconnoitered? Because you'd think they'd be reconnoitered. 
right? I'm beginning to get a vibe here. I uh, there are think Twitter, they were 20, sent to their due. Yes, there are 21 episodes that yet that may prove me right or wrong. So let's file this away with, with that caveat. Uh-huh. I think that our writers, Mr. Wong and Mr. Morgan, uh, watched Alien. And uh-huh. they modeled Aerotech after the corporation in Alien. Wayland yutani That was the name of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the name. Wayland yutani Beautiful. Beautiful name. I love that one. I think you are probably on track here. I think that they knew that they were there, and I think they sent them on purpose for a for a reason to be fodder for something. And I think we will find that part of that equation involved them sending some tanks mm-hmm. as well. It's like, I mean, it could simply be that. They had their nefarious plan, and then the government was like, "No, nah, no, nah, you got to send some tanks." And they're like, "Fine, they'll they'll be eaten just as well as anybody else, whatever." But it, it's it is a lot of money and a lot of effort to train colonists and specialists to do specific jobs to get them to that planet just to sacrifice them. It Not is. saying you're wrong. I think you're right. <laughs> or, or you know, perhaps there are some people in Aerotech who are who are aware of this and, you know, maybe not the whole program, but yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of cheaper ways to send a bunch of people to, to an alien planet. Uh, if you want them to be killed or turned into alien breeding cocoons or whatever, like, like, yeah, sending your prisoners. We, yes. We've established a prison on that planet. We're going to call it new Australia and, and our capital, new Duke South Wales. And etc. But yeah, see, I, I I think you're onto it. I think you're onto it there. We could be wrong, but but yeah, I'm getting a a vibe off Aerotech between the pilot in this episode, where there's something cold and calculating about it. Mm-hmm. That would be very consistent with the that era of television, right? Uh, there's yeah. a lot of that corporate uh, chicanery <laughs> but let's see i i don't know that i have i i've got notes i don't know that i have a whole a heck of a lot here i i i want to point out that we did see in this episode uh tank fixing his helmet yes to accommodate his neck umbilical no. cord yeah, i did notice that that does Nobody raise an interesting me. question Nobody mm. makes anything for tanks anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why do tanks have their umbilical cord in their neck? I mean, if they're grown like humans, why yeah. wouldn't you use the part of the body that's already performs that function? I mean, now you get the whole, ooh, they're different and we can spot them easily. But eh, it's like, eh, that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I agree with you. I think that you did. You did it. You did answer the question. <laughs> Easy identification. That's absolutely what it is. And they're all Audis, apparently, too. <laughs> yes. Or at least our sampling size of two. I think it is. I think we saw McQueen's, didn't we? Or did we? Yes. Okay. So, um, the other thing I I totally forgot to mention this from last week, and I I didn't want to miss it now because 
thinking of biological functions, it occurred to me that they went to a lot of trouble for a gag in the last episode that I don't think paid off. And that was when the, the drill sergeant was explaining to them about their waste unit. Yeah. Right here. The Park Force unit. When it is full, the light will turn red and it will beep or whatever the heck he said. I do remember that scene. And, and then do you remember when the Chig first showed up, one of the soldiers' light immediately went <laughs> and the alarm went off. I don't remember which one it was, but it was definitely, oh, I just, my pants. Yes, um, you did. <laughs> and I thought, well, they, they spent a lot of trouble for a joke that frankly was so flat that neither one of us bothered to mention it. That's cool. Yeah. And I didn't and, notice it, so it was, and yeah, I'm and it, I'm fairly observant. Yeah, and it, I I kind of thought of it after the fact. I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, ha ha, guys, ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I wondered why you wasted all that time explaining the toiletry facilities. Now I know. The Chekhovian gun. Yep. Uh, I did or, also notice. Or can. I also did notice the name of the second colony world, Telus, and I did learn um, through my friend Google that Telus is an ancient alternative name for Earth. All right, that's a fair name for naming your colony. What about Vesta? A Roman goddess. So there seems to be some ancient Roman vibe going on here. Yeah, fair enough. That's that's how. I think we have an asteroid already called Vesta, don't we? I think so. Maybe we blew that up so we could name this. Yeah. And this was in this colony land, colony world, where it's the Chig burial site. What is that? Is in the Fornax star system. And when I typed yep. in Fornax, I got constellation visible visible in the southern hemisphere. <laughs> yeah, well, so they're keeping up with the space 1999 tradition of not understanding space. Right. Yeah. And There's apparently no there star. are yes, there are a number of stars in the star system, and many of them have cataloged planets as it turns yeah. out. But the but Fornax is a constellation. Bad. <laughs> Well, it sounds good. It sounds good on paper. And the people watching TV will never will never know. And no yeah. one will ever invent the podcast where someone will look this up and complain. I know. And speaking of looking things up, I, 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 when I was watching the, uh, the video um, in preparation for this podcast, I stopped and rewound slightly to pick up the name of the star system where the 58th was supposed to be flying around. Oh, right. ND2091. Okay. And I typed that into Google, and all I got was uh, proposed laws before the lawmakers in North Dakota. Uh, well, in the far-flung future, they have uh, they found a few more stars. Okay. I, or cataloged a few. I don't know. Yeah. Apparently, it's somewhere in the vicinity of Telus, um, as from just by well, the story. Yeah, you know, and the other thing about this that's kind of worrying 
is wow. I don't know how do how do I express this? It's got it's got I think they said two hot worlds in that system. Yes, it does. That's what that's it what they said. It's two hot worlds. So that means two worlds that have been taken by the Chigs. And what kind of what kind of reconnaissance network have we got going? I mean, have we got ships out there? Have we got fleets all across the the space? I mean, how how expansive is our is our scope of stars that we have access to and how do they work as a battlefield uh in a war towards earth and i i I don't i don't get this i mean it's hard enough to try to you know take star trek and go okay well the federation exists in this chunk of space i guess going up and going down and going around and then we got a border with the klingons but really the border is you know, uh, goes up and down and to the galactic edges and, or maybe it doesn't, or maybe parts of it go over the top of us. Who knows it, it you know, bo- boundaries and borders and it, geography in, in space are kind of, uh, not what we are used to on our two dimensional map world. Exactly. So what the heck are they doing? I mean, have they got a plan? Do you have to worry about the physical proximity to your target, or do you have to worry about the occurrence of wormhole proximity to, you know, they're on that planet because a wormhole is going to open up there in six months that'll get them to Earth. Tell me that, and then I'd go, you know something, that planet's a priority. But the Saratoga is within very close distance. Visual range of TELUS, a hot world, and the chicks don't care? And the Saratoga isn't saying let's uh, let let's let's kill the Chigs. Yep. I mean, I I can understand why maybe they haven't been given orders to do that. And in this strange, bizarre universe, the commanders actually follow orders, um, unlike their subordinates. But <laughs> yeah. right. But wouldn't the Chigs be going? Hey, there's a there's a warship uh, warship right in visual range. Yes. Let's go blow it up. I don't, yeah, I don't quite understand what's going on here, and I don't think they do either. So, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to know more. Funny thing is, is this? It's these little, it's these little niggly details of things that in science fiction that I would love for them to explore. I'd love for them to explore the nature of the three dimensional spatial battle. But we know that the writers don't care about that. All they care is giving the viewer uh, a simple metaphor that they'll think they understand. Well, we got to take back this planet, Hill 304, right? You know, planet 304. We just, we got to take that one back so that we've got more ground. For what? We don't have colonies. It doesn't sound like we build colonies. We've only d- tried two. So what is the military doing with these planets? Once they take them, look, I don't, I don't think, well, we've got it, put a flag on it and take a pin in it. We'll, we'll move on to the next one. I mean, I can see why there might be strategic locations where you don't want to get cut off from your supply lines and et cetera, et cetera. And those things may be legitimate, uh, concerns or again, with the advent of wormholes, maybe they aren't a legitimate concern. And how do, and, and how do those wormholes work why are they only Work. available 12 years at a time or whatever 
Except that we will never have that problem again during the course of this series. No, no. It's like, if wait, no. 12 years. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It, we'll, is this a wormhole? We can go wherever we want from now on, yeah. Let me do the, do the ends of the wormhole move around, and how do we chart it, and how do we know it'll be 12 years? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all... It's all not. I think about, I'm thinking about wormholes in science fiction. And I remember that in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, one of the unusual characteristics of the Bajoran wormhole, or should I say the Celestial Temple, was that it was stable. And people kept and on talking about it. was artificial. That. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, which is probably why it was stable in that, in that series. Yeah. I don't know. Honestly, if there's any real science to the notion that wormholes are not stable, if wormholes exist, I don't know that I don't know one way or the other whether or not they are anticipated to be stable or not. I really don't. I mean, that's that's that, you know, that's just a trope in Star Trek because that was the way they wanted to say, wow, this is really important. We've got a we've got an actual usable wormhole here, which is a first. And that makes. Bajor a uh, important place in space. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think they're going to play fast and loose and they're going to hand wave around it, just like that line today. It says, well, now that we're out here, we can just zip around with it. We've got a lot more shortcuts. It's like, why is that? I, you're not going to tell me. You're just, you're just going to say that that's the way it is so that we don't have to, uh, we don't have to explain how we get from place to place suddenly. Uh, I was just doing a little bit of internet searching while you were talking. I'm looking at livescience.com with an article dated November 15th, 2021. And it says, wormholes may be feasible shortcuts through space-time after all, new studies suggest. The new theory contradicts earlier predictions that these shortcuts would instantly collapse. I, I, I thought that, yes, I thought that there was a, okay, well, yeah, that exact, but that's not quite the same thing, right? That, no. that is, wormholes don't last long enough to be useful. Right. But in Star Trek, wormholes pop up and they just go from point A to point B and you don't know where it is and it will eventually end. But I think, I think the reality theory was that wormholes would just collapse immediately. Yes. Like, boom, gone. But this this revised one is still, but that doesn't say whether or not they would stay open long enough, and if they close, they will never open again? I don't know. No, this, this, art, this article also defines a wormhole as a portal between black holes. That is also one, yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're dropping into the, and I don't... I thought that would have been bunked, but yeah, I, 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 they're, they're just playing fast and loose, uh, with a way to get the ships around. Speaking of ships, you think those, uh, hammerheads are expensive? They have to be. And there are at least two destroyed ones now. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And no repercussions for that either. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no. And, and, you know, Wes was the one that had painted space above and beyond on it. And now is, is that going to be gone? Or is he going to paint a new one? Or yeah, we'll, so we'll see. We'll see the next episode and what he has on his. Um, but I did think about. Wait a minute! You take your steel, this piece of very expensive military equipment, 
It's in modern terms, it's like in our terms, it's like stealing a, a fighter plane. Yeah. And go uh disop- go a wall and uh, get get the thing destroyed. Yep. Yeah. Does not matter if you save two people's lives. No. There's going to be there's going to be a court martial. Oh yeah. There Except has to, to be a court martial. Yeah. When when Aerotech can just say yeah, let him go. Very fine. Well, I was thinking about Commodore Ross because he knows that he ref- he refused to shake Sewell's hand. He had to take right. orders from him, but he didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I think Sewell's definitely not a nice guy. That do you think across. we'll see uh yeah, do you think we'll see our survivor again? I can let me see here. I can check that keep in mind the caveat is this is from the IMDB page, so never right. That's Stuart uh French or something like that. Yes, it is. It's French Stuart. And let me scroll down to get to the 1990s here. And he is, this is his only appearance, according to the, his IMDb page. I wonder, now I want to look up Mr. Sewell. The actor was Michael Mantell. And let me scroll down. Let me find that. Um, space above and beyond. I'm all right. I didn't know, he was, didn't know he, was, he was in Spencer for Hire, but okay. The, he's actually in four episodes, according yeah, to this. That, that doesn't surprise me. Those are the Mythos episodes. He'll be he'll be a, a recurring foil, and we'll get we'll get more pieces of this puzzle. I just think this whole, frankly, nonsense drivel uh, from from. Uh, the survivor's character about, I'm going to throw this man from home. He's like, was that supposed to go anywhere apart from let's call the episode that how the heck are we going to come up with a, a way in the episode to call it the farthest man from home? I was thinking and about then, that. And who is, and who is the farthest man from home? Sewell told him, you not are him. not, you are not the farthest man from home. Is, is so who yeah. is? Well, I mean, it, let's, let's put it this way. You put him in the middle of the Saratoga, right? Right. Which is, he was at the point, which means that there are probably people above him, below him, to the left, to the right, for the back. So one of them is further away from Earth than than he is. So he's definitely not the furthest man from Earth. It's it's just, you know, it, it it's a practical reality is that he is definitely not the farthest man from Earth. And he probably never was because it sounds like we had the military futzing around out in space all the time anyway. Uh, Telus was just, hey, I know that part doesn't <laughs> make a no, lot. I'm, but, I'm you know, thinking they present love. this mystery and then we just, we just don't, we don't get I'm anything. Not. And what is the silly answer to, to West? No, she's not. She's even, she's not closer to home. She's further than home. Uh, like what what yeah they got the guy, the guy was out of his mind um but at the time um so i had to just give him a pass on that one but there is i was now i'm thinking out loud so just consider that it yeah. maybe this goes maybe this goes nowhere but at the end of the episode west who should have been through at least two court marshals already at least yep Yes, uh, ha, um, says 
that he was close to home, and he meant tell us. Cena, I think he meant Chris down there, or Kylan. I think he meant Kylan. Yeah. I think he was close to her, and she's home. She's home. And, I, yeah, okay. And so he may move. So maybe he's the farthest man from home because he's far away from her. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, and then the other thing that in that same line about the answer, you know, he gives him a, a, a BS crazy man answer, and then West steals a ship and flies off. Not, not good. But then Kylan and her ilk have landed on the planet and survived and they've left behind their dog tags to tell people that they've survived and presumably to tell rescuers that they've well, survived right and she leaves the messages as oh Westie, whatever she calls him uh look to the hills or look to the high ground or whatever the high it's ground like, look to the high ground why on earth would you not just say, whoever's coming, we've gone to the hills, to the west, they help us. And why would you leave such an obscure, stupid comment if somebody was supposed to follow it? That doesn't make any sense. Except, of course, it's dramatic license. Yeah. If she had, uh, if she had taken your suggestion... The, ep- the episode would have been shorter. Not by much, though. As it was, it was, it was 43 minutes. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't take him long to figure it out. No. I mean, he immediately looked to the high ground. Then something else happened. Then he looked to the high ground and again, oh, okay. So, I mean, it, you know, he's trimmed 30, 45 seconds off the episode. Yeah, but, well, a little bit shorter. But this thing is, uh, this episode was... 43 minutes and 42 seconds long. Uh, we have reached the era it, of Fox. Yes. Oh, <laughs> in the in 90s. The, in the olden days of um, original series Star Trek, an episode was 51 minutes. Is it? And so can you, can you just imagine this episode 51 minutes long? No, Should I, I cannot. <laughs> cannot imagine it, it 51 feels minutes long. It feels a bit stretched. And and they have at least a minute of credits. Yes, yes. This this feels a bit stretched at 43. Yeah. It, I, it, ha- I, I, uh, I have precious few notes. It's, uh, it's, I had five, I had three or four pages handwritten on notebook paper for the pilot. And for this one, I had, well, I wrote out the cast for, um, and director and writers for on one sheet, just because I believe in learning by writing, and I have one page of notes proper. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we we have been recording for forty five minutes and fifty seconds, and that you know, listeners, that includes screw ups and and uh, pre pre recording banter and and whatnot, and and it this episode feels stretched to me. So yeah, yeah, just so, just like the uh, the show. So yeah, yeah I, um, I, I do the one other thing I do have. Yeah, this is just a little bit in in universe. Apparently, the distance between the Vesta colony and the Telus colony is three parsecs. Okay, and that's in dialogue. Okay. Why would why would they use parsecs? Well, if it's <laughs> it's a legitimate me- way of measuring. It is a a, a distance is. in our space. It is a legitimate measure, but you know, 
couldn't we come up with something in, I don't know, in the decimal system or something yeah. or, or just stick with light years so that you can compare apples and oranges. Uh, I understand what a parsec is and I understand, you know, it's, it's bigger, but it's also, it's like, it, it it's arbitrary, like feet and yards and, and inches yeah. in a way. And like, okay, uh, we could just stick with, uh, we could just stick with a consistent system. Okay. Okay. Then, then 10, then the distance is 10 light years. There we go. So, uh, and, and that sounds better. <laughs> yeah. Three, you know, well, one thing that I want to say in it, comparing the show to the X-Files. Okay. And, and one legitimate reason for comparing it to the X-Files or, or more than one legitimate reason for comparing it to the X-Files. Morgan and Wong are, were part of the X-Files team. They're part of the, the process of making fill the, the X-Files. They have that steeped in. This is on Fox. The X-Files is on Fox. They yes. are about the same time, right? So we're in the same kind of production, which is why I think this will follow the mythos because, of course, that was the kind of beginning of introducing serialized storytelling um, in American television, not, not, you know, kind of a little a balance here and there. But the opening credits for this show are absolutely awful. I can't even hum the theme tune. I wish I could say that was true because it has kind of earwormed me a little bit, but it's not the theme. It's the combination of this is, this is like the cheapest shows from the eighties where the credits are just nothing but a bunch of clips <laughs> from the show, except, and, and, and their clips, I think mostly from this very episode, I think all of the character profiles with one exception or three exceptions are all from this episode and she's like whoa this is you spent some money on x files by comparison are moody stylistic they're yeah. imaginative they're artistic i don't think they use any stock footage however before anyone corrects me i do think there's a scene where Mulder and scully are walking into a room shining flashlights in there a very is. stylized fashion that might be from squeeze but i won't swear to that because I haven't checked it, but it kind of has a look of that same scene when they're investigating the uh, a building underground building where tombs uh, existed. But uh, and then to cap it all off with a cherry on top, the glamour shots that they took of the three leads, particularly of Kyla or not Kylan, uh Vanson, Vanessa, then Vanson. Vanson. Yes, those are so hokey. I mean, she's on top, crouched on top of a mountain for crying out loud. It's, it's a ridiculous shot. And, and I forget what the other two guys were doing, but they're obviously staged, you know, opening credit hero shots, whereas everyone else in the cast is just like, oh, freeze frame of you watching the porn video. I don't yeah, know if anybody that was, spotted that. Was, that. that was the, uh, obviously, a very, shall we say, not quite the not quite the full porn video, but it got the point across. Yeah, got the point across. Yes. What else would the military be doing on their time off? I actually do want to say something for for some of our listeners out there. Um, a, 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 a dear old friend of mine, name was Woody, who was uh, going back a long way back when Fusion Patrol was like a public access TV show. Long years. He has sadly passed on, but 
there was one thing when I watched this episode that just absolutely just brought him to mind. And that was Tank playing video games because Woody would not shut up. Get some, get some, get some, get some, get some. When he was shooting a video kit. And I guess maybe that was a thing, but uh, because unless he was emulating this show, which uh, maybe he was, but I don't know. But either way, I saw that and I was like, wow, okay, that brings things back. Yeah. What do you mean this? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned Vanson. The actress is Kristen Cloak. And guess who she married in 1998? Morgan or Wong? Morgan. Morgan. Okay. Okay. Could have been either one of them, but okay. In 98 is after this show? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Then we won't, we won't make any comments about how she got the job. Well, apparently they they met on the set. Yeah. uh, The, um, and and it says here on, um, I am looking at her IMDb page, IMDb page, it says, Frequently cast by her husband, Glenn Morgan. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I hear Tim Burton does the same thing. Used to, anyway. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking her up here. She wrote. Uh, she is. She is also. Say. Uh, she did appear in. Um, she has her her appearances uh, after Space Above and Beyond or uh, in Millennium. Which so X Files connection? Uh, she was in. She was a guest actress in various series here. Apparently, she had a role in, the, in some roles in various movies. And she, under writer, she's, she's apparently she's gone off into writing, and she wrote an episode of the revival of the X Files. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, I was going to say, there was a revival of the X-Files. I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the, the yeah, the many years later with the Carl Kolchak thing. Yeah, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, well, not all of those were winners. I don't know which yeah, one she wrote, and I wouldn't recognize it if I did, unless it's the Carl Kolchak one. But, um, yeah. I, I, I'm going to say that in watching this episode, I haven't satisfied myself, but as you may recall, uh, during... The Star Lost. Yes. Uh, we had nicknames for our characters. I remember. And uh, yes. Um, and I'm highly Drift likely to have. And long hair and mustache. And mustache, yeah. And um, I forgot what the other one was. Long hair. <laughs> long, oh, yeah. Long hair. Yeah. Long hair. Oh, the, or all three mustache. had long hair, but. Yeah. One had the mustache. One just had long hair. And then one was, was a drip. Yes. Uh, I haven't satisfied yet, but I think they may be Snot, Killer, and Tank uh, on this one. West being Snot, of course, because he's a Snot. Um, Vanson seems to be the uh, the competent uh, one who will probably kill someone before this show is over. And uh, and Tank is just Tank. I think they got his name right. Tank. So, I haven't decided yet. It will depend. It will depend on on my muse as I'm writing the next synopsis, how I feel <laughs> course of the episode. But I was pretty annoyed at West in this episode, starting at the very beginning. And, you know, when 
Killer, he's looking at the planet, and Killer says, don't go getting any ideas in your little head there, boy. Yeah. She didn't say it like that, but, you know. No. Uh, yes. You knew he was, and he was going to. And it's like, wow, you're, you're like, you just got told off by your commanding officer not to pull this kind of stuff, and you're going to do it, aren't you? You are totally going to do this, aren't you? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, as I started watching the episode, uh, I got that, I was that far in, into it. And then I thought, this guy's an idiot. And it's so unnecessary. Because how about this? We're sending in a recon, an army recon vehicle, which they did, from that carrier, which our heroes were on, and they could have sent them in his air cover to a hot yeah. planet. And he could have been shot down and could have made the discoveries that he made from the beginning. And then his teammates pulling some bonehead stunt to try to rescue him would have been a more believable way for the military chain of command to overlook court-martial offenses. Not saying they would have, but it would have been more believable. Yes. Right? Because of camaraderie. We, you're a team. I got your butt. You got my butt. We all got butts together. Then you could see the argument that says, hey, one of us has got his butt down on the planet. We all got to get our butts down on the planet so we can have a butt grab like we did in the last episode. And <clears throat> so, I, yeah, yeah, I, I... It was unnecessary. All it did is it made the character of West a bigger idiot than I thought he was last week, which, you know, all right, fine. He's a big idiot, but I don't sympathize well with idiot heroes. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, yeah, I, um, I did not watch this series when it was in first run. I knew it was on. I saw the advertisements for it. But I just, at the time, I had no interest in watching it. And if I were to go back in time, um, and in my great my great hypothetical scenario, and start watching it, uh, in in first run, I don't think I would have gotten to the end of the season. I, as as things stand right now, I don't disagree with you. I had no interest in the show either, and I think part of it has to do with. You just can't get me interested in military shows. Yeah. That that just right off the bat. I mean, everyone says, well, Star Trek's the military. It's like, yeah, Star Trek's the military. Like, like MASH is really the military. You know, it's just, it's just not. <laughs> just, it's not the same thing. But watching a bunch of jarheads running around saluting and, no, sir, no, sir. Three packs full of summer and, and doing brodies in their, in their, uh, in the hallways and stuff just does not do it for me. So, yeah, I, I probably would not have made it through the show. This, but yet, the show has a lot of strong supporters. Like so many other shows, it's like, oh, it was cut too soon. Of course, I've heard people say that about Man from Atlantis and Logan's Run. So, and they are wrong. I'm, just, I'm I here have... to tell you right now, Man from Atlantis, Logan's Run, Manimal. Uh, oh, uh, Manimal. Uh, Mantis, oh, Auto Man. They did not end too soon. <laughs> they did not end too soon. I remember no. watching Manimal, but I do have an excuse. I was a stupid kid. <laughs> Isn't Manimal about the same time as this? Manimal was 1982. Was it that far back? Wow. I feel like I spent my time watching The Sword of Justice instead, but uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, wow, I didn't think Manimal was that far back. That that's just when I moved off to college. That could explain why I did not. Um, I did not watch it. Now, maybe <laughs> explain why I did now, not watch it. Now it is possible um, that Manimal was in reruns on the Sci-Fi Channel in the mid '90s, as the Sci-Fi Channel was showing airing a number of old science fiction series oh, yeah. in, in the middle 1990s, back before they turned into whatever the hell they've become now. But I do, but yeah. I do, I do like, I do like that middle 1990s version of the Sci-Fi Channel. It's gone forever. Auto Man is the same time. Auto Man was 1984. 80, yeah. Three. 83, 84. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I would have I sworn those two were the same age, but I thought they were probably a little towards the late 80s at least, or early 90s. But, okay, fine. There we go. We have devolved off this topic a, a, a long way, and I think that tells us that well, it is time to look forward yes, to the I next agree. And, episode. And I am out of notes, which is why I'm busy talking about <laughs> Manimal. Well, also, I have Manimal on my DVD shelf, and wow. it's, uh, it's going to be, and I've not watched it yet, because I am saving that for John. Oh <laughs> wow! I also have West Beyond Westworld. There's another wow. one. Yes, that did not end too soon. No, how that one was what four, four episodes? Five? I think it might have got to six with four aired or something like that. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, hard to believe they put out a DVD, but there you go. <laughs> wow! Next episode of Space Above and Beyond, though, is. The ridiculously titled The Dark Side of the Sun. I think that was a Pink Floyd album that they rejected and went with Dark Side of the Moon eventually. Um, yeah. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusionpatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we will be taking a look at the second pilot of the original Star Trek series, entitled Where No Man Has Gone Before. When we discuss the effect of emotions on intelligence, taking out gods with technology, and we look back over a quarter of a century of poetry by Tarbold from Cannabis Planet. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.